This is Blockbuster Film School. This is Blockbuster Film School. Everybody, it's nice to see you. You're doing great. You're having a great time. Hello, welcome to the Blockbuster Film School. I'm Alex Bonner. Joined as always by our sunglassioed headmaster, Mr. Nicholas Souter. I want to publicly apologize for shooting our producer, Brian Depps, <laughs> in the face with a Nerf gun. Yes, earlier today there was a solemn I thought the safety was on dangerous moment in which gun violence is real, everybody. Yeah. Nerf gun violence is a real thing. Amongst overgrown children. <laughs> Um, Brian um, Brian took it like a trooper, but he did start tweaking his nipples right after it got shot, which I found disconcerting. I don't know why that was. And then he asked me to shoot him again. <laughs> and I said, well, check, please. Uh, so <laughs> welcome in, everybody. It's time to talk movies. It's time to talk nonsense. It's time to talk Blockbuster Film School. I hope you're ready. Nick, are you ready? Yeah. Brian, are you ready? Yes. All right. So... We, this week, are talking- Why is your impression of Brian, the voice of the dog from Son of Sam? That's exactly how Brian talks. Ted Levine? <laughs> Ted Levine's more of a- Would you shoot oh, me with a Nerf oh, gun? Oh, I'd shoot me with a Nerf gun. Oh, wait. <laughs> you like butterflies? Okay, so this week, we're not doing Ted Levine. That'll be way down the road when we have our Ted Levine episode. I think we need to do it soon. She's slightly more famous than Ted Levine, though. She's- Only on every continent in the world. <laughs> she is a world treasure- She's one of the greatest actresses in the world and one of the most wealthy actresses in the world. Time Magazine called her two times one of the 100 most influential people in the world. Her name is Miss Nicole Kidman. Ooh. Nick Kidman. My Australian accent's going to try and come out this time. It's going to be terrible. Welcome to Wendy's. All right, that's terrible. Went British again. It just goes British real fast. Anyways, it's Miss Nicole Kidman. You know her. You love her. We're going to talk about her. We're going to go into her entire filmography as well as... Maybe we'll talk about some of her relationships, possibly. Has she been in any ones? She has been in a, I don't know, any famous relationships? Keith Urban. <laughs> that is, I mean, he's yeah. sort of, I don't like his music, but he's a actual joke. He's very famous. <laughs> but, Nick, what was your first movie that you remember seeing Miss Nicole Kidman in? <sighs> Far and away. <laughs> I like the sigh before that. Well, I've seen it, so yeah. I guess you've seen it too. Um, oh, but about? I, Tom Cruise's Irish accent. Oh, mm, God, Montebello. Mm. <laughs> My mom, like every other '80s mom, liked Tom Cruise, so we watched this. My mom also has the attention span of an '80s <laughs> cokehead, so she just kept leaving the room and telling me not to change it. So I'm just sitting there watching this god awful movie for all of eternity. I'll fight for $200 so I can go to America. I will. (laughs) That's my pitch perfect rendition of Tom Cruise in that movie. Sounded like Peter O'Toole having a stroke. You say that? You say in the face of God today? But her accent, slightly better, but not that much better. I will say that. She does a really good American accent. She's very good at that. She's always been very good at that, but... I don't know how great her Irish lilt was in that movie. I think the first time I saw her was her first American movie, her first quote-unquote Hollywood movie, which was a movie called Days of Thunder, in which Top Gun happens inside of a car. Yeah. <laughs> well, drop the hammer. Do not drop the hammer. Michael Rooker. You drop the hammer. <laughs> One of my favorite Michael Rooker movies. All right, so 
Nicole Kidman, we're going to do our normal game, but just kind of talk about her a little bit real quick. There's a couple of little things. Uh, she is an Australian actress, even though she was born in Hawaii, born June 20th, 1967. She has an Academy Award, two Primetime Emmy Awards, and five Golden Globe Awards. Like we said, she's one of the highest paid actresses in the world. She's basically like a a a a list, A plus, first on the call sheet, unless I would assume maybe Sandy Bullock shows up. I'm not entirely sure, but- that's just not practical. We're going to go into her movie she made with Sandy Bullock, which I tried to watch, but... Uh, oh, I've seen it. Ooh. And I even like weird witchcraft movies. I, I like girl power movies. I just... Something about the cheesy 90s-ness of that movie. I couldn't handle all the way. We'll talk about that in a little bit, though. Let's go... So she grew up in Australia. She was always kind of an actress. She always was acting as a little kid. Her parents, her mom, was a very famous, like nurse practitioner slash her mom wrote books and trained other nurses and became kind of a, a women's advocate in Australia. Her mother's name is Janelle. Her father, Anton, Anthony, Ant, <laughs> that's his name, Anthony Kidman, but he is a very famous doctor in Australia, which we'll, we'll get back to why this is important because he was a biochemist and a very famous clinical psychologist and author. He was kind of like Richard Dreyfus and What About Bob? <laughs> he wrote a lot of books about psychiatry, and that will come into a bit of a conflict with one of her future husbands. But also, Keith Urban. Keith, Keith Urban hates psychology. He's upset with it and not wearing a cowboy hat if you're balding. Anyway, also, I would say, though, there's an interesting thing about how all of her movies, her really, really great movies, always have something to do with really crazy psychology, really interesting character psychology, the way characters think about things, traumatic things happening to people so that their psychology begins to change. It's very interesting. But Kimmy grew up in Sydney, and one of the big things that people know is that she went to Lane Cove High School, and that's where she met Naomi Watts. And her and Naomi Watts went to high school together, and they worked at a place called the Phillip Street Theater in Sydney, which is kind of in Australia, almost like Second City, or or more like Steppenwolf, I suppose you'd say. Steppenwolf is, it's like the Steppenwolf of Australia, where it's not exactly Broadway, but it's right there. Can you explain Steppenwolf to listeners who's not from Chicago? Sure. Steppenwolf Theater is a theater here in Chicago that is very much so, if you're not doing live theater in New York, in Broadway or off-Broadway, the place that you do theater to really gain recognition, I would say the next best after that is the Steppenwolf Theater in Chicago. A lot of very famous actors have come from Steppenwolf. Just off the top of my mind, John Malkovich, Gary Sinise. Why am I forgetting her name? Gary Coon. Gary, yes. Aunt Jackie. Like, oh, shit. Yeah. <laughs> the dad from Frasier. I'm just going to name <laughs> characters. A lot of very famous actors and even actors who didn't come from there. It's a very big honor to work at the Steppenwolf. I saw a really great play with Kieran Culkin, not that long ago. This is our youth, him and Michael Sarah. Laurie Metcalf. Laurie Metcalf. Laurie She's Met great. Yes. And so Steppenwolf is really an amazing theater. And the Phillips Street Theater in Australia is considered in a lot of ways like that. And she came up in that very early, her and Naomi Watts. And that kind of launched her career in Australia where she did a bunch of stuff. She started working in 1983 at the age of 16. She made an Australian holiday season favorite. Apparently people in Australia love this movie. It is a movie called Bush Christmas, which Bush Christmas has a very different meaning. I have never seen Bush Christmas. Have you ever seen that, Nick? 
No. No, not me either. Uh, however, in 1983, she begins really making movies, some in Australia, some in America, but they're indie movies, but there's one that everybody remembers. It's a movie called BMX Bandits. And Nick, you've seen BMX Bandits. I have. <laughs> what do you think about BMX Bandits? There's not enough weed in the world to make me watch that again. <laughs> it's silly. It's silly. It's fun. Yes. To a point. And then it's just like, oh, wow. It's like hackers, but for BMX bikes. <laughs> That's, exa- <laughs> That's exactly right. That's exactly what happens. It gets slyly referenced in tons of stuff after yeah. that. The guys in Pee Wee's Big Adventure, the BMX guys are dressed like the guys in BMX yeah. Bandits. There's an American Dad episode we talked about. That, so and Mitchell Webb look. It's a weird cultural touchstone, BMX Bandits. Also, we have to posit this up front. Uh, Nicole Kidman is very attractive. I just want, I don't know if anybody knows. We'll talk about this too on how sometimes I find that ridiculous in certain movies she's in where she's just a, a lonely Civil War housewife who looks like a supermodel. <laughs> I know. But yes, 1983, the year I was born, BMX Bandit. She makes a bunch of movies that I've never seen. I don't think you've ever seen in Australia. Watch the Shadows Dance. Have you ever seen that? No. Wind Rider. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're not going to talk about it. But she appeared in a movie called Emerald City in 1988. It's an Australian film. It got her the Australian Film Institute Best Supporting Actress. I've never actually seen Emerald City. I've only ever heard of it. Have you seen that movie, Nick? I have not. Yes. But I think after this is when we really, because that movie kind of launches her career, because then she gets in an Australian movie. It is a movie called Dead Calm, which is a Philip Noyce movie. Philip Noyce. Uh, if you don't Noyce. know. Noyce. He's directed a lot of The Quiet American, The Bone Collector, The Saint. Clear and Present Danger, Patriot Games. He's an Australian action movie director. But if you've never seen Dead Calm, it's a movie with Sam Neill, Nicole Kidman, and Billy Zane. And it's... It's nuts. It's nuts. Really good. It's really, really good in it. So good in Everybody's it. really good in it. Oh, my... Even Billy Zane. Okay, I'm going to say this up front. Mm-hmm. Billy Zane's a good actor. He is. He is. He gets... He just in terrible... <laughs> Fucking movies after a certain point. He just was in the highest grossing movie of all time where he was a giant dick and everyone's like, I fucking hate that guy (laughs) because he, I don't know, tried to uh, shoot Leonardo DiCaprio and you just don't do that. Not when the boat is sinking. Okay. Also, if you've ever seen a movie called The Phantom where he won't stop smiling like an asshole. Yeah. It's hard to watch. Stop smiling, you dick. I know that. He's wearing a giant purple jumpsuit the whole movie. So I just imagine... He's just laughing at himself the entire time. <laughs> I would imagine. He's like his eh. big his big leading man role, and he looks like a eggplant emoji. <laughs> he also is a white guy who saves jungle African people. He's yeah, the hero of jungle African people. But he's nothing some, right about that movie. So, it's very weird. Smash Evil, was that what it was? Oh, the, God. <laughs> this is not the Billy Zine up. Billy Billy Zine. Wow. I have Billy Zine. His alter ego. Take this little magazine I wrote. We all know who you are, Billy Zane. Do you? Although, real fa- I know this is not to turn this into a Billy Zane <laughs> episode. His um, cameo thing, you could pay people to like send you messages or send personalized messages to other people. He knows. <laughs> he knows what's up. He is having yes. the most fun with it. Oh, he seems like a fun dude. Yeah. And he's been around forever just because probably he is actually very fun and easy yeah. to work with. But I will say this with Dead Calm. Roger Ebert noted the excellent chemistry between the leads, stating Kidman and Zane do generate real palpable hatred in their scenes together. And I think that's something that I always noticed about Nicole Kidman when she's in her really good movies is that when you get her in a really tense 
interesting dialogue based scene, she is able to really create wild sort of characters and emotions. And we'll talk about later stuff with, you know, where she would win Oscars and get nominated for Oscars and stuff like that. But it's Keith a, Urban movie. <laughs> the Keith Urban story. I'm a writer. I don't know any Keith Urban songs. I don't care. I never, uh, I don't think I've ever heard one. No. <laughs> After that, then started to date a young man named Thomas Mape other the fourth. Uh, you might know him. His name is Tom Cruise. C-R-U-Z? Yes, he is three and a half feet shorter than her. So that's an interesting sexual dynamic. Actually, she's not as tall as I thought she was. She's 5'11", which is tall. She's six feet tall. Yeah, that's still five inches taller than that him. That is still tall. It's still much taller than him. But I always thought she was like way tall. I thought she was Uma Thurman tall, but she is... She's not an Amazon. No, she's like my height. However, interestingly enough... She then comes to work with Tom in her very first Hollywood movie, a movie I referenced, a movie called Days of Thunder, in which Tony Scott did so much cocaine with Don Simpson and Jerry Bruckheimer that Don Simpson would die a couple years later from the cocaine in Days of Thunder. Just a quick little story. Jerry Bruckheimer and Don Simpson wore NASCAR racing jumpsuits to the set of Days of Thunder when they filmed it. So that that happened. Like a third of that movie takes place in a NASCAR racetrack. I know. I would love to see the set photos where Tom Cruise and Henry Portrait of a Serial Killer have a fucking wheelchair race out of the hospital. They're just there coked up in their jumpsuits. Oh, you know Randy Quaid is just scoring weird drugs for them too. Just yeah. Oh man, that if if you've Part of me thinks Randy Quaid invented fentanyl. He definitely brought it to America. What is your take on Days of Thunder there, Nick? Total crap. Mm. Total crap, but I'm not going to lie. Nicole Kidman's kind of super hot and awesome in it. <laughs> I mean, she's that and everything. I don't think we yeah. keep pointing it out. It's that just like, it's sort of fun to watch. It is. That's what Jerry Bruckheimer and Don Simpson do, though. They made weird, insane movies. I mean, it's almost exactly the plot of Top Gun, but in NASCAR. Yeah. I mean, much lower stakes. Beat by beat, Nicole Kidman kind of plays the Kelly McGinnis role he doesn't kill his partner but he like crashes the car and his rival crashes and gets injured i mean it's almost beat for beat top gun who's his pit driver pit boss isn't that wasn't that uh robert Robert duvall robert duvall Duvall is basically tom scarrett carrie elways plays basically the borat character from uh talladega nights where he calls the fancy boy rival driver who shows up i mean it is nonsense hans zimmer did the music it also had a budget of $55 million and made like $200 million worldwide. Yeah. So in her first Hollywood movie, granted, starring with her at the time boyfriend and future husband, Mr. Cruz, who is, I don't know if you guys know this, but Mr. Cruz prints money. I don't, you can say anything you want, but he literally walks into a room and just money just starts spilling out of his pockets. He's like, oh, shit. It just it just happens. Um, yeah, but those are all L. Ron Hubbard dollars. Yes, they have L. Ron on them, but they still count, strangely, for goods and services. So after that, though, she went back to Australia, made some more Australian movies. Not a lot of stuff that really people remember, but there was a movie called Billy Bathgate. Did you ever see Billy Bathgate? I don't think so. Billy Bathgate is actually a pretty dope movie. Um, it's a Robert Benton movie with Dustin Hoffman and Bruce Willis. And gangster movie, she got nominated for a Golden Globe for it. And the New York Times called her one of the funniest, most beautiful people in the world in that movie. And she kind of plays a spicier character in that movie where and something that she'll also be able to do in a lot of her movies where Nicole Kidman 
sometimes plays these kind of fawning characters or sometimes these kind of matronly psychotic characters. But I think my f- personal favorite ones are when she's being kind of a smart ass. And that's truly, in my opinion, some of her best stuff. After that, she starred in a thriller called Malice with Alec Baldwin. Do you remember that? I do remember that 1993 movie. 1993 was George C. Scott. Yeah. <laughs> what is, 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 and also the guy who plays... um. The little puppet from Saw. Bill Pullman? <laughs> no, it's like Tobin Ellis or something. Yes, yes. Actually, the Saw movies would be a lot better if Bill Pullman played, uh, what's that dipshit's name? <laughs> it's with the puppet guy. Oh, um, oh, Jigsaw. Jigsaw. Do you want I, um, to play a game? <laughs> Do you want to play, play a game? game? <laughs> are, you, are you Bill Paxton? Do you want no, to play a one. game? Yeah. <laughs> However, in 1992... She starred in Ron Howard's epic, one of Nick's favorite movies that he talked about, a movie called Far and Away. Far and Away. Oh, about Irish people coming to America, neither of which are Irish. One is Australian, one is American. <laughs> and they come here. That's how little Hollywood respects the Irish. That is correct. However, it was 140 minutes long, and it got nominated for Best Picture, and it had a $60 million budget, and it made $150 million. Granted, it's her and Cruz again, which people seem to like them together, but also um, kind of a big. Yeah, she is not one of those people who likes them together. No. <laughs> At the time she did. Yeah. At the time the, she thought it was a good idea. I want to bring this up right now. After I get done saying this, pause this. Yes. Go online. Not you. I meant the general people <laughs> listening, but you could do it too if you want to. Sure. Stop recording. <laughs> uh, pause this podcast. Go online, Google Nicole Kidman oh, divorce yeah. photos. Oh my god! Where she is running down the street, she looks like she just like parachuted out of a cult living in the sky. <laughs> there any country music stars around for me to date? Who boy? I'm free. Might also have been the fact that her husband is number two in one of the most dangerous international cults in the world. Might also have been of a problem. Nothing weird about that. Yeah. Taps has got it. Oh, yeah. That looks like somebody <laughs> who just got released from, from jail. the biggest <laughs> non-prison prison in America. Mm-hmm. We'll get to that in a little bit because that's coming up. But she was in a movie called My Life with Michael Keaton, which um, I definitely didn't cry at when I saw it. So fucking depressing. It's so sad. It's Jesus. so epically sad. It's like, let's take the guy who just quit being Batman. <laughs> yeah, let's take Beetlejuice. Whole, let's take Beetlejuice. <laughs> But let's make it Beetlejuice right before he dies. Oh, man. Give him a video recorder and have him speak into the thing and talk to his child Mm. and tell him a bunch of stuff that he needs to know when his dad's dead. I will say, though, it's one of the things that she will get into. She's so good in high drama. She really is a really well written. It's one of the first ones where it's like well written high drama and she's very affecting. She's very powerful. So is Michael Keaton. They make a good couple in this. It's, I, it's I, all believable, and that's what makes it so goddamn terrible to watch. I kind of It's want, just depressing. I also kind of wonder if then kind of the next big movie she makes after that, she thought maybe Keaton would return for Batman Forever because he doesn't. There was debate. He was possibly going to return for Batman Forever. He does not because Tim Burton does not come back. And we've talked about it in our Joel Schumacher episode, if you want to go check that out about Batman Forever. But she plays Dr. Chase Meridian in Batman Forever. She kind of gets lost in Batman Forever. She's in it, 
but in my opinion is kind of overshadowed by let's face it a bunch of boobs a bunch of <laughs> a bunch of a bunch of people trying to out crazy each other yeah. and when i say a bunch of people i just mean tommy lee jones and jim carrey cuz i'm pretty sure that val kilmer is high on Valium the entire, or that's the direction that he was given by children. Yeah. You're super high on Valium. Uh, I mean, I can do that if you want, you want me to do that for Batman? Shut the fuck up. <laughs> so we talked about Batman forever. So we can kind of, we talked about that. Like I said, see our Joel Schumacher episode, but do you really remember her in Batman forever? Yeah. Yeah. I don't remember anybody in that movie at all doing anything good. That's the no, problem. I all- remember her just being, I know her name is Dr. Chase Meridian because <laughs> fuck it. Right. Yeah. And then I remember she's at the circus with Bruce Campbell. Yes. Nope. Bruce Wayne. Bruce Wayne. <laughs> Same. Something. How much better would Bruce Campbell have been oh, in that fucking Batman movie? Oh my God. He would have been overacting the shit out of it. Harvey. It would have been fun though. Come here. It would <laughs> It would have been oh, better than the puns with goddamn Chris O'Donnell. But uh, oh, you mean you want to see Bruce Campbell as Robin? That would be good too. <laughs> That'd be, yeah. you- see, I'm better at directing already than Joel Schumacher. Um, Let's see you make Saint Elmo's fire. <laughs> hey, rich white children. Yeah, act sad. Okay, after that, that same year though. She teams up with one of her spirit animals, one of the people who she would work with over and over again. And it's a hilariously weird dude named Gus Van Sant. And he made a movie called To Die For. Oh, yeah. Uh, Yes. Which Joaquin Phoenix, Matt Dillon, Casey Affleck, Kurtwood Smith, Dan Hedaya. It is about newscasters and how nuts they are. So what do you think about To Die For? To Die For is a goddamn classic. Everyone in there is just, they're young and they're gorgeous yeah. and they're acting their fucking asses off and they sell every inch of that movie. Yeah, Everybody in that movie, you cannot take your eyes off of them. Nicole Kidman is literally like a neon sign. I know. Just in the middle of nothing, just shining through the dark and all you want to do is stare and do whatever you say and fucking kill her husband, man. <laughs> There's such, I love the performance. There's such calculation in everything she's doing. You see the wheels turning, which is something I love about her as an actress, just in general, is that sometimes she'll sit there and just by her eyes, you'll sort of see these wheels turning and get an idea of what she's thinking. And she charms people. She says, fuck you to people. She is this wild ass character that Suzanne Stone, who is a news anchor who wants to be much, much bigger than a local news anchor and is going to, doesn't care what she has to do in order to get, do you remember when Gus Van Sant used to be real good? I do. <laughs> yeah, I, I remember the exact moment he stopped being good. When was that? When he made that fucking Kurt Cobain movie. Mm. Was that before or after that dumb Columbine movie? I liked the Columbine movie. You liked the Columbine movie. I'm not going to lie. Hmm. Both those movies, I feel like, are more about, like, sound and mood. Yeah. He went really, like... I'm going to make, I want to make these little art house movies that people forgot I can make, but it's like, those aren't the art house movies he made. I suppose my beef with elephant was just that the movie itself is pretty good, but I felt that it portrayed those two assholes as too likable. I thought they're two scumbag psychopaths who didn't, they didn't come across as likable to me. Hmm. Yeah. Interesting. I came across as human, right? 
right. which was sort of, I guess, what he was going for, but I didn't like them. They're yeah. still school shooters. Yeah, I mean, they're real trash bags. Like, yeah. fuck them. And I felt that it kind of added to their mythos, which is what they wanted, which... But I don't know. That's a, that's a whole different. I mean, not too much. Nobody saw that fucking movie. <laughs> we did because we're nerds. We rented it for Blockbuster. I did. Anyway. Brian saw it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> After that, she appeared alongside Barbara Hershey and John Malkovich in The Portrait of a Lady, um, which is a Jane Campion movie. And if you don't know who Jane Campion is, she's really awesome. She directed like The Piano. She is a New Zealander. Jane Campion's directed a lot of really cool stuff. I don't know if Portrait of a Lady is my favorite Jane Campion movie. It's I enjoyed it though. Yeah, it's good. It's good. And the her cast Mal- is stacked. Yes, her and Malkovich are wild together. Yeah. And I feel like, the, like I said, the Steppenwolf connect. You know what I'm saying? That they both come from theater. They both really have this strange electric charm. There's a lot of things going on behind the eyes when they talk to each other. I really like them. Her and Shelley Duvall, Richard E. Grant, some of those scenes I remember as being really wild. It's an interesting period piece. If you've never seen The Portrait of a Lady, I think that's when it's uh, a secret classic for not just her, but of the 90s. Viggo Mortensen's in it. Mary Louise Parker. Christian Bale. I mean, it's it's crazy. John Gilgood. I mean, it's it's worth checking out. And it's one of those ones where it didn't make a lot of money and it kind of got lumped in because Jane Campion, some of her movies are kind of boring. As good as The Piano is, it's kind of boring at times. Plus, you have to look at Harvey Keitel's dick. It's a whole thing. But The Portrait of a Lady by Henry James is also a really great book if you've never read that. So, worth a checkout. Worth a checkout. But now is when she starts to become in Hollywood as a big, big star. And she makes a movie called The Peacemaker with a little-known actor at the time named George Clooney. I think you may have heard of him. He kept that weird Caesar haircut going for a long time and still was very famous. Have you seen The Peacemaker, Nick? Yeah. <laughs> This movie sucks. It sucks. It's a real bad. It's such a lame sauce 90s dipshit action movie, but cost 50 million to make and made 120 million. So, I mean, she draws money in the wrestling term. After that, then she makes a movie that Nick referenced in 1998 with Sandra Bullock, a movie called Practical Magic, which has Sandy Bullock. Nicole Kidman, Stocker Channing, Diane Weist, Aiden Quinn. And guess what? It's about magic. It's about practical magic. It is about a family of witches in Massachusetts who try to cheese and bore the shit out of me the entire time I watched it. I don't know. I don't, some people love practical magic. What do you think, Dick? I've seen this recently, like the last few years. Mm. And it was just... <laughs> Awful. <laughs> I know I'm not the target audience. No. I am not the person who seeks out movies where no. people make drinks and then dance around a table. But yeah. <laughs> she's good in it. Like, here's the thing. Like, nobody is bad at their acting job right. in the movie. It's just crap. It's so melodramatic, I think is my thing, where I understand some people like it. They saw it when they were kids. They enjoy it. I think if you were a kid, you might enjoy it more because there's a part where a guy gets hit by a truck and I have to not laugh during it. It's this very melodramatic movie about witches where it's like an episode of Party of Five that's about witches and goes on for an hour and a half. And I, Okay, that's really mean. <laughs> Look, 
I apologize to the big Practical Magic fans when you go to Practical Magic Con, but I'm sorry. I don't enjoy it. I think it's kind of weak sauce. However, Practical Magic was a hit. It was a big old, big old hit. It was not. I'm sorry. It cost $75 million and made 60 at the box office. But it's become kind of a cult hit. It is, There's yeah. a lot of people who like Practical Magic. It has survived. It's on Blu-ray. People watch it. It shows up on Showtime all the time. Actually, it was on HBO. Was it? On- <laughs> it was HBO movie. Because it was on HBO. I would come home from school. And I'd go looking through the channels to escape my life. And, oh, look, it's Practical Magic again. I rented it from Blockbuster and definitely fast-forwarded it on VHS a couple times where I was like, how long is this cheesy montage? How long? How long? How long? How long? All right, here we go. Anyway, um, after that, in 1999, interestingly enough, she's starting to have uh, sort of our sick, weird paparazzi culture that makes us just know strange things about famous people's personal lives, whether we want to or not, there were already beginning to be problems with her and Mr. Cruz, particularly they were married at this point. The big beef is that her father was a very famous psychiatrist. And if you don't know this, Scientology really doesn't like psychiatry. That's their big thing. Psychiatrists are very, very dangerous. They have an entire museum in Los Angeles about how psychiatrists killed people, have killed people throughout time. They call it the Museum of Psychiatry, the Museum of Death. They are not big fans. And so always in Scientology, she had been regarded as an SP, a suppressive person, and was distrusted and disliked. And as Cruz became more famous and bigger in the church, she didn't like it. However, very, very interestingly, in my mind, possibly the greatest filmmaker of all time, begins to notice this begins to notice that they are these two amazing actors who are having a weird marriage and are having weird problems with their marriage and decides to go after them and make his last movie and yet still maybe one of his best movies, a movie that I saw in the theater when I was 16 years old, and it is Eyes Wide Shut, directed by Stanley Kubrick. I could do almost an entire episode on this crazy-ass movie, how it's maybe the coolest neo-noir of all time. It shows a New York that doesn't exist anymore or maybe never existed. It's Because it was London? Yeah, I mean, it's, but it's wild, though. It's one of the most interesting movies I've ever seen. I can watch it anytime and get tons of new stuff that I never caught before. Lots of new weird stuff. She is electric in it. Cruz is electric in it. I think it's amazing. I don't know. What do you think about Eyes Wide Shut, Nick? I'm not a huge fan. Mm. I think they're both good in it. I don't think there's enough Nicole Kidman in it, but I realize that's the movie. There's Tom Cruise wandering around sets of New York and London, but like I think it's more interesting than it's good. Yeah. I feel like there's a weird chaos magic thing that Kubrick was trying to harness with how weird their personal relationship was, and I think some of that comes through because they're a married couple in it, and they clearly have chemistry, but they clearly also have beef. And that comes through very clearly. And the storyline, as a lot of people know, there's a weird sex cult that Cruz ends up trying to infiltrate because he's curious of whether his wife cheated on him. And it takes him down this weird road, his wife being Nicole Kidman. And that's even interesting. Is that something that Cruz was worried about? It's such a peculiar movie. And if you've never seen it, it's one of those ones where I think you absolutely should at least see it. Would you agree with that? Yeah. I, I 
I, I personally think you should see all of Kubrick's movies. Yeah, I think. I mean, I don't think you'd need to watch. I personally don't like all of his movies. I disagree. I don't know which 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 ones did you not like. I don't like A Clockwork Orange. You don't like A Clockwork no. Orange? Wow. I mean, I think Clockwork Orange is pretty amazing, but I also understand that it's uh, it's kind of hard to watch. It's about very dangerous, terrifying, terrible characters who live in a dystopia where they are trying to program you to behave better through media and through uh, drugs. We don't live in a society like that at all. But I agree that uh, Clockwork is probably the hardest to rewatch. I've seen it once. Yeah. I don't feel the need to go back while watch somebody where something with the assault in it like that. I'm okay with it. I, I know what you're saying, but it's not that it was like gratuitous or anything though. I, it's got a very definitive point about how dangerous and weird, which one is better the dangerous characters who are violent offenders or the idea of reprogramming people and trying to turn them into something. I don't know. It's a, I feel like it has this very rogue sort of sensibility to it, but I understand what you're saying. It's, it doesn't have that same perfect connectivity that say like full metal jacket or 2001 or something has, it doesn't, or even I'd say Barry Lyndon, but I really, really do like eyes wide shut. And when I first saw it, when I was truly a kid, I enjoyed it, but I didn't know what the fuck was going on. And as I've gotten older and have had relationships and have had weird dynamics in my life and have met weird friends of mine who tried to make me go down weird paths, it's become a much more relevant movie to me. I'm not saying that I was involved in any masked sex cults, but I am. I know you're you're not rich. I am wearing a plague mask right now, though. I am wearing a here. Here the the code word is orgy. Here are the two things I love about that movie. Mm -hmm. And this is part of the thing. It's like the scene I love the most is when the two of them get stoned Mm. and Nicole Kidman tells him about the night she almost cheated on him. And then that scene's amazing. Amazing. I wish that scene was like an hour. Yeah. Because I could have watched the whole fucking thing. That's great. I yeah. think the Tom Cruise going on the adventure at night, that stuff is good, but not as good as when they're on screen together. Yes. Because even in the trailer where it's like the Chris Isaac song and oh. like they're both naked and it's just like they have no chemistry together at all. It's sexual chemistry. It's mm. kind of amazing. The other part about Eyes Wide Shut that I love, even more than that, Kubrick went back and reshot all of Harvey Keitel's scenes with another actor. (laughs) God damn it. I hate Harvey Keitel (laughs) so much. He's a terrible actor. I would love to make a movie. Harvey Keitel breaks through the door. Oh no. Oh God. (laughs) I would bite his fucking neck. (laughs) Harvey's always been very nice to me, but that's okay. I understand. I understand. I appreciate your hatred of Harvey. He Keitel. bought you one chili dog in LA <laughs> once because you forgot your wallet. You're never going to let it go. I'm, it's a nice thing to do. It's a nice thing to do. <laughs> I appreciate that. I could genuinely talk about Eyes Wide Shut for hours about his weird jazz friend who gets him involved in all this for seemingly no reason other than to just fuck with him. If you want to do a spinoff episode, Lily Sobieski. With- with Brian and talk about why is wide shut for hours. You guys go ahead. It's fair. I won't. I won't. So, but she begins to hit a stride here because in 2001, she makes a movie with Baz Luhrmann, a fellow Australian called Moulin Rouge. And if you don't know what Moulin Rouge is, whether you like it or not, Moulin Rouge was 
a big fucking deal in yeah. 2001. It was a big box office hit. It was a kind of cultural touchstone. Baz Luhrmann made an entirely different movie in which he made a musical using pop songs and a uh, period piece. He decided that Ewan McGregor could sing for some reason. I wasn't entirely sure about that, but it's interesting. What do you think about her as Satine in Baz Luhrmann's musical? I think she's great. I think Ewan McGregor is great. I think the movie itself is a giant cheeseball mess, (laughs) but it's so... Campy and stupid, yeah. it's just fucking good. I that's kind of Baz Luhrmann in a nutshell. Yeah, exactly. I think you described him perfectly. Yeah. It's he's like, and that's our Baz Luhrmann episode, everybody. <laughs> Baz Luhrmann is kind of like Joel Schumacher if Joel Schumacher had more talent. Yeah, and pretty much. He just makes these big bombastic movies, strictly ballroom, Romeo and Juliet. I mean, even that crazy ass DiCaprio, Great Gatsby. It's he just makes he wh- makes really big. Rights event movies. Yes. yes. But they're not like, you know, it's not like Roland Emmerich, the day after tomorrow. <laughs> yeah. Oh my God, there's snow everywhere. Oh, the cold is coming. Ah! No, it's fucking, you know, it's yeah. a dying Nicole Kidman and, you know, schlocky writer Ewan McGregor <laughs> just dancing and singing and not being French. They don't care. Who cares? It's it- two hours. It goes by really fast. I realize like people hate it because they put Nirvana in there, but it's like, who cares? I enjoyed the shit out of it. It makes you it's fun. Yes. And I hate to admit that because I hate fun. I know it's you, fun. you're very upset by fun, but it's also her first Academy Award nomination for best actress. Won't be her last, but she received a golden globe for her performance. And I agree. And I would say in a way, as much as I had liked to die for, and Dead Calm and Eyes Wide Shut, this was when I was like, oh, shit, Nicole Kidman is like a big, huge movie star. She's not just a cool actress in stuff. She is a mega, mega international movie star now. And that's kind of her big breakout because after that, she's never going to not make big time movies ever. I'll give her this, something we talk about, we'll talk about because she's cool and she makes indie movies. She likes working with interesting indie directors, but... If she wants to, she can get herself onto any big budget movie she wants, which we'll talk about Ugh, Aquaman in a second. But after that, she's in Alejandro Amenabar's The Others, which Brian likes, but Nick does not like. I mean, spoiler alert, the guy at the end with the wig on is Bruce Willis. Pretty much. <laughs> she's great in it. Parts of it are spooky, but I don't know. It's predictable. It is. <laughs> yeah, I guess. I kind of didn't hate the twist of it. It's got a predictable twist, but the twist is a little bit interesting. I don't want to. It's sp- better than fucking any um, M. Night Shyamalan twist. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Except for the one at the end of Unbreakable. I kind of liked that. But, you Which know. Which that? The Mr. Glass, the one with Bruce Willis and Samuel Jackson. I left the theater in like 20 minutes. It was fucking dumb. I disagree. I kind of like Unbreakable. I think Unbreakable is his best movie. It's uh, Lady in the Water much. <laughs> Lady in the Water is rough. It is. I never saw rough. I was very high watching it once in the theater. And I remember slowly coming down and thinking it was good at the beginning because I was so high. And then as I came down, I was like, wait, what am I watching? What is this? What is this? What's happening? <laughs> oh, yeah. It's happening. Or what's the one where what's the one? 
Brian has a the happening tattoo across his stomach like <laughs> Thug Life. What's the one where Mark Wahlberg is afraid of the wind? The happening. Is that the happening? Yeah. I blocked that out. I literally I don't even care. Because No. No <laughs> not the wind. Yes. So but it did make two hundred and ten million dollars. I mean, it's I'm not surprised. It's a better horror movie than a bunch of the shit that at the time that was making money. Absolutely. It did kind of in a way, begin a little bit of the trend of, you know, making some more cerebral horror movies at the time. It wouldn't really last, but I do think that The Others is one of those ones that, at least in for producers in Hollywood, they always kind of remember how much money The Others made. And so when someone pitches them a cerebral horror movie, they're like, I mean, The Others did make a lot of money, so maybe we should make your Robert Eggers movie. So... People Magazine that same year called her the world's most beautiful person. I mean, she is bangerang, so that's true. In 2002, this is when she really fully gets recognized for some of her acting. And I also, the second movie I saw of hers where I cried in the theater like a little wiener. She plays Virginia Woolf in Stephen Daldry's The Hours. She would, spoiler alert, win Best Actress for that movie. That is her one Academy Award win. The movie won Best Picture. It's interesting because it's three different time periods. What's weird is that her storyline was not the one that was the saddest to me. The Ed Harris one was like creepily devastating to me. I couldn't handle it. But uh, what did you think about The Hours, Nick? It's really fucking good. She's amazing in it. Yeah, she's really fucking good in it. And it's just a really real bummer of a movie. <laughs> It's a super bummer. Yeah. I love Uh, sad movies. I like, I don't feel like a wiener, as you just said. I love crying during movies. Yeah. I I cry at the end of Mad Max every time. (laughs) Fury Road. Yeah, I was going to say the first one, just because you watched it, you were like, oh. Oh, man. (laughs) How did they get this made? Um, No, The Hours is great. They're all equally just sad stories. I know. And it's interesting. She wears the prosthetic nose. And she plays Virginia Woolf as she finishes her classic novel, Miss Dalloway, which is also, spoiler alert, next level sad. And I feel like you're misusing spoiler alert a lot. Spoiler alert. In that movie, her brain, it's so interesting how it's so smart and creative, but seems to almost have like faulty wiring or something. And the way she portrays that, where she even understands it is such an interesting portrayal of mental illness and of people with suicidal tendencies. It's heartbreaking. It really is. And she deserved that Oscar and it's very, very good. And if you've never seen the hours, you should watch the hours. I think that's another one that I would put there. However, I will say you should prepare yourself. Yeah. <laughs> because it's settle sat- in. Yeah. Find yourself a nice pandemic blanket. <laughs> it's sad in a way that is genuinely affecting, not in just like a cheesy, we're trying to Hollywood, the blind side, make you sad kind of bullshit. It actually has interesting characters who all begin to unravel and you have to watch them unravel. Yeah. And they're weirdly connected. It's very good. It's, it's really good. It's a good movie. Mental illness will fuck you up. And this movie shows you how it does it. Yes. Yes. Um, Shout out to my therapist. (laughs) Following her Oscar win, Kidman appeared in three very different films in 2003. The first, a leading role in Dogville by hilarious comedian Lars Van Trier. 
that's set on a bare soundstage, literally in the Dogville style of filmmaking. Nick, did you see Dogville? No. Yeah, I watched some of it, and as much as I find Lars von Trier intriguing, I I just couldn't I couldn't handle it. It was it was too weird. The second was Philip Roth's uh, The Human Stain with Anthony Hopkins. Didn't see that, but her third film, a movie that my mom and grandma have watched over and over again, and I have seen with them at least one time where I kept snickering, and they said, "Don't snicker if you're going to watch this movie with us." It's a movie called Cold Mountain. Starring her and Jude Law and Renee Zellweger, in which some of the handsomest people of all time were involved in the Civil War. You've seen Cold And Ma- Brendan Gleeson. Yeah. <laughs> Anthony Mangella's Mingella, Mingella, Mingella? Mingella. Mingella. Directed Cold Mountain. What did you think of Cold Mountain, Nick? I don't know. I feel like I should rewatch it. <laughs> it's a good movie. It's just... I didn't buy it. Yeah, that's what I agree for many levels. Yeah. One of which is what I was talking about, which is if you transported Nicole Kidman to 1860s war-ravaged Confederate South, I feel like every time anyone saw her, they'd be like, Jesus Christ! Like, they're seeing Athena or something. That she's No, I know. So- I mean, good-looking people existed back then. It's just yeah. <laughs> the movie itself, yeah. I don't... Unless Jude Law is being killed by Matt Damon or selling his kneecaps to Ethan Hawke, I don't buy it. I don't buy anything he does. Man, I really liked him as a creepy, weird murderer in uh, The Road to Perdition. I like him when he's playing a real weirdo. Yeah. I like it when he's playing something that's not Jude Law, when he's playing a real spook show. I feel like he's good at that. Also, when he's playing a paraplegic possibly astronaut candidate in Gattaca, who is... That's what I just said. I know, but... Yeah. What's Titan like this time of year? Titan? Titan's like this. And then you blow smoke in the wine glass. She's good in it. She's great. Yeah. She's great in it. She's great in everything. Even yes. her... I'll, no, She's never given a bad performance. No, no. She's just in a lot of movies. I know. And some of them people love. She got nominated for her seventh Golden Globe nomination for that movie. She got nominated for Best Actress... I mean, it's crazy. I mean, in a way, though, a little bit the height of her powers. I mean, she's always around, but that was one of her big upswings was Cold Mountain was kind of the culmination where you have those movies where it's literally just Bing, Moulin Rouge, The Hours, Cold Mountain, and they are these huge hits, huge critical successes, huge, massive worldwide successes. I think she's back at it right now. Oh, I know. She never leaves, but I feel like, honestly, she's so cool that sometimes she pulls back and does a lot of indie stuff, you know, and kind of takes a break from doing big Hollywood stuff. But in 2004, she appeared in the film Birth, a Jonathan Glazer movie. And did you see Birth, Nick? Uh, Yes. Yeah. I don't remember anything about it. I remember that it's weird. It's like her dead husband is born as a kid. Yeah. I, and then she's in love with the kid. <laughs> I saw that really high. And I was just like, this is very uncomfortable. I know. She plays a full creep show in it, which I liked. I like. Yeah. The- no, again, she's great. But I don't like all I remember her doing is like turning the person I was with. What the fuck is Nicole Kidman doing? I see because after this, though, she begins to try to make some movies where she's a bit of a creep. And I like that because she's good at being a bit of a bad guy. However, she does make the Frank Oz Stepford Wives, which I liked her in, but it's it's a swing and a miss, in my opinion. Yeah, it's not. She's good. She's always good. It's just I don't like the original. Yeah. 
I don't care about, you know what? I'll, I'll say this though. It's better than John Carpenter's remake of village is damned. <laughs> oh yeah. That's not saying anything, 100%. but you know, I wanted to bring it up. Yes. Frank Oz, I would argue at that point is directing movies with better skill than our beloved John Carpenter by that point. Um, yeah. Also Matthew Broderick just turning in garbage, just being a sad, weird sack in movies and, well, the longer he's gone after committing vehicular manslaughter, mm. the more he's just pretending he's not thinking about it every second of the day. I actually think he's more haunted by the movie Godzilla. I think that just, he just, he has I, like PTSD, I, like he sees Jean Reno. <laughs> you didn't kill French people, he killed German people. <laughs> yeah, but he was in Godzilla. I, 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 I recognize that fact. I feel fact. like he's more haunted by that. <laughs> After that, she stars with Sean Penn and Catherine Keener in Sidney Pollock's The Interpreter, which, I don't know, how do you feel about The Interpreter? I feel like I didn't watch it on purpose. (laughs) I rented it, and I feel like it was kind of boring. Um, Yeah, I don't care about Sean Penn. I don't care either. She tried to make a romantic comedy with Will Ferrell, where they have zero sexual chemistry, in the movie Bewitched based on the 1960s TV sitcom, it got a Razzie Award for Worst Screen Couple. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> they're a terrible couple, but I kind of like them together because, like, Will Ferrell's just being Will Ferrell and Nicole Kimmons just being, you know, another Practical Magic Witch. And, uh, like, I'll never watch it again. It was easier to get through than, you know, birth. Yeah, yeah. They don't have a son and she's in love with it. <laughs> It's weird. God, that you're right. It's also just pop fair. It really is. It's watchable. It's not great, but it's a, nah. She's really doing a lot of wild stuff. In 2007, she's the face of Nintendo for a little bit. Forbes has her in the top 100 valued celebrities in the world. Her and Baz Luhrmann make a bunch of Chanel number no. five commercials. In 2006, she's in Fur opposite Robert Downey Jr., which I barely remember. But like I said, she's trying some weird stuff. It's a Steven Shaneberg movie. She lends her voice to a film called Happy Feet, which made all the money. 2007, she starred in a science fiction movie, The Invasion. Ooh, did you see it? I did. What'd you think? It's underrated. That movie's really? dope. Really? Yeah. I like Jennifer Jason Lee a lot. She's really good. Daniel Craig's good. Yeah. It's Invasion of the Body Snatchers, yeah. but it's fucking different. Interesting. Every okay. time they remake Invasion of the Body Snatchers, it's a different movie. Is it maybe a secret wall pick? That good? or No. No. It's my movie. I'll say this. If you haven't seen it, you should watch it. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. 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 I have not seen it yet. Jennifer Jason Lee and her star again with Jack Black and Noah Baumbach's comedy drama Margot at the Wedding. Have you seen Yeah, I don't watch Noah Bombback movies. <laughs> You're too cool. Yeah. <laughs> if you've never seen Margot at the wedding, she is amazing in it. She is so funny and so weird. And it's her funniest movie she's ever made, in my opinion. I I mean to die for is very funny, but she steals that whole damn movie. She is it should be called Nicole Kidman at the movie. <laughs> It doesn't matter what's going on. She's awesome in it. Um, you could retitle a lot of her movies. That. <laughs> that is fair. That is fair. She takes a swing at a big budget summer blockbuster franchise with the Golden Compass playing the bad guy. The first one or the second one? It's the only one. 
I tried to watch it. Oh, I'm thinking of um, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. Yeah. Well, she, yes. Is she in this? Uh, no, apparently not. I don't think not. so. No, no. no. <laughs> I don't think so. Yeah, it's, uh, I try. There's a talking bear. Um, in 2008, she reunited with Moulin Rouge director Baz Luhrmann in one of the most ridiculous <laughs> movies of all time, <laughs> the Australian film. Guess what called? Is it Australia? Australia. That is my favorite <laughs> thing Hugh Jackman's ever done when he hosted the Oscars. It was like the 2010 Oscars. He brought up that Robert Downey Jr. is nominated for Best Supporting Actor by playing an Australian man playing a black man in a movie <laughs> for Tropic Thunder. He yeah. goes, this year I played an Australian man in a movie about Australia <laughs> That was called Australia. <laughs> and he goes, I was not nominated. No. It was universally panned by critics. However, was a big hit in the box office internationally, possibly because people just like Baz Luhrmann. I tried to watch all of it. I tried, Nick. I tried. It is pretty boring. <laughs> and do you understand what I'm saying? It is a Baz Luhrmann movie that is boring. That is... You know, who boy, maybe he just wanted to make a dud so he could see what it feels like. Yeah, it's he tried. He actually just tried to make a, if you will, a. A, a, a non Baz Luhrmann type movie, you know, what I'm saying like a yeah. Oscar based. He spent all those years going, I'm having too much fun. <laughs> yeah. How do I make a movie <laughs> that's like Gallipoli, but lame? Yeah. Oof. He was like, I'll do a Peter Weir impression, and it didn't work. Um, so after that, she was in Rob Marshall's musical Nine, which is a weird Federico Fellini ripoff movie that has everyone in it because Rob Marshall's movies a print Oscars, but not that one. Have you seen Nine? No. no. Oh, wait, wait, ask me again. Keep this in, by the way. Ask me again. Have you seen Nine? Nine. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> yeah. It received it received it. Golden Award and Academy Award nominations because Rob Marshall directed it. Yeah. It didn't win any, though. After that, she starts to go into more indie movies. She's in Woody Allen's You Will Meet a Tall, Dark Stranger. Have you seen that? No. Nope. <laughs> I didn't see that on the list. But it did get her uh, Academy Award, Golden Grove, Screen Actors Guild Award nominations. Golden Grobes? Golden Grobes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I turned into James Hetfield for a second. Yeah. In 2011, she starred alongside Nicolas Cage and director Joel Schumacher's action thriller, Trespass. Don't even ask me. <laughs> it is banana sauce if you ever want to watch it. It's her and Nick Cage trying to out-crazy each other. It's not a good movie, but it's kind of fun for... Check out the trailer. Check out the trailer. She's with Adam Sandler and Jennifer Aniston and Dennis Dugan's romantic comedy, Just Go With It. I'd rather not go with it. <laughs> she stars with Clive Owen in the HBO film Hemingway and Gellhorn about Ernest Hemingway and his relationship with Martha Gellhorn. Okay. I bet it was wildly inaccurate. It seemed boring. However, uh, she is in Lee Daniels adaptation of the Pete Dexter novel, the Paperboy, which I actually thought was pretty great. She portrays death row groupie Charlotte Bess and performs sex scenes that she claims not to have remembered until finishing the film, which is something a lot of her movies, I will say 
she's always been one of these performers who doesn't mind getting sexy with her stuff and has always been. And I'm, I appreciate how she, as part of her kind of arsenal of acting, uses her sex appeal in interesting ways. It never seems exploitative to me. It always seems like she's doing interesting things and doesn't mind, or I suppose I shouldn't say doesn't mind, actively uses her sex appeal to create interesting characters sometimes. And obviously, I mean, Eyes Wide Shut, and we'll go into it also. For instance, we're getting close to a film that we actually really, really like where her sex appeal becomes a very interesting, strange thing. Uh, in 2014, she's in a she's in a lot of stuff. She did uh, blah, 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 Colin Firth, The Railway Man. You see that? Before I go to sleep. Paddington. I only saw Paddington 2, actually. <laughs> Paddington 2 is great. It's a, I've, it's, I've heard Paddington and Paddington 2 are amazing. Yeah, I wish I'd watched Paddington. I watched Paddington 2 for the other podcast, and... I teared up. It's fucking great. It's a great movie. Goddamn Paddington. He is wearing a a raincoat with no clothes on underneath, though, like a flasher. And <laughs> just I just want to put that out there as a kid. He wears clothes. It was disconcerting. Re- he goes to jail. He wears the jail outfit. Right. <laughs> you act like these movies aren't like believable. Mm-hmm. It keeps going. There's a lot of movies that I have not seen. Any of these popping out to you? The Family Fang. No, I never heard of that. Secret in Their Eyes. Photograph 51. <laughs> but well, I actually wanted to see the family thing. I, I forgot about that movie. Because Catherine Hahn's in it. Mm. And her. And Chris uh, Walken. In 2016, though, she's in a movie called Lion, which was directed by Garth Davis, which got her an Academy Award nomination. I did not see Lion. Did you see Lion? I'd be lying if I said it if I did. Ooh, nailed it. Nailed it. 2017, Kidman returned to television for her HBO rad series, Big Little Lies, based on Leanne Moriarty's novel. It's nuts. It's fucking great. I didn't watch the second season yet, but it is really good. Yes, I love it. And it's wild style. I agree entirely. That is also where she got her primetime Emmy Award for outstanding lead actress. So she gets herself an Emmy. Oscar, Gold Globe. All she needs is a Tony. She Mm -hmm. got an EGOT. Mm Mm-hmm. This is, okay, this is the solution to Brian and I's dilemma. She needs to be in Trent Reznor's stage musical. Ooh. And then they both get EGOT at the same time, same Tony Awards. I like it. I like it a lot. It'll be dark and sexy <laughs> and weird. And everyone will be dressed in black. The whole stage will be all black. You can only see their heads and their hands. Mm. Am I writing this right now? Right now, Trent Reznor is preparing his best black T-shirt for the awards. Oh, stop! You, <laughs> I'm gonna. Oh, I'm blushing so much that the microphone's just making a noise. <laughs> After that, Kidman next played Martha Farnsworth, the headmistress of an all-girls school during the American Civil War. And Sofia Coppola, our girl, check out the Sofia Coppola episode. Hold on, you you skipped over one movie. Which one? Which one? I talked to girls at parties. Oh yeah. The, uh, that? I liked it. It was fun. Yeah. David Cameron Mitchell. Yeah. Like, it's nice to see him, like, actually make movies, mm-hmm. you know? Because he did Hedwig. He did Short Bus, which was yeah. fucking weird, but, but it, I liked infinitely it. Infinitely watchable. Yeah, exactly. And then he didn't do anything other than, like, IFC ads for 10 years. <laughs> and now IFC doesn't stand for Independent Film Channel, so it's like, he just, I don't know. It stands for I fucking 
caramba. All right. So, excuse uh, me? Excuse me? Uh, maybe my least favorite Sofia Coppola movie, The Beguiled. Even though it has it is. tons of amazing actors and actresses in it, it is such a shame. Had such a good shot and yet was... I don't know. I've watched it a couple times, but she's really kind of dangerous and wild in it, but it's uh, not enough to actually carry the movie. Everyone else is just sort of standing around or lying down. If you're Colin Farrell, the next one we will talk about though, is a movie that is the one that we wanted. We have been waiting to talk about a return to maniac form. The Yorgos Lanthimos, the killing of a sacred deer. Yeah. She is again with Colin Farrell and that weird psycho kid. That kid's <laughs> fucking nuts. Like the most likes. And if, okay, let's talk about the killing of a sacred deer for a yeah. second. Some of the scenes, particularly with Kidman, where they just slowly push in on her and her eyes begin to do strange, almost inhuman things because she's living at this level of stress that is beyond real are so wild. And so Yorgos Lanthimos, I love his movies, but sometimes I don't even know how he's doing any of this. I don't understand. He makes everyone talk in monotone sometimes. It's so bizarre. Most of the time. But it works. It works. No, I I love his movies. I sort of talked about this at length in our A24 episode. I think this is her funniest movie. Yes. This is absurdly we are uncomfortable. <laughs> I I said this in the A24 episode. I was so uncomfortable watching it at the Logan Theater. I literally got up and changed <laughs> seats just so I could feel different enough to get through the last 20 minutes of the movie. Yes. It is unrelenting in its just presentation of facts with no emotions at all. I think that's the wildest bit. No one shows emotion except for her, but in these controlled, in her eye. Everyone is in their eyes. And when that kid bites Colin Farrell and then bites himself and then immediately just starts talking about it, what I did right there was a metaphor. Yeah. (laughs) I just, I couldn't believe what I was seeing. The climax of this movie is sheer terror, but at the same time, (laughs) Somehow fucking hilarious. Yes. And yeah, she's amazing in this. Colin Farrell's amazing in this. Mm-hmm. Alicia Silverstone is so creepy. I Her agree. one scene is unbelievably creepy. I fucking hate that little devil kid. I hate him. <laughs> He's so good at it, though. I know. He's so terrifying. This is literally, in my head, Stanley Kubrick's second best comedy after The Shining. <laughs> Your ghost definitely is channeling. Yeah. Is, and also very much so channeling her in Eyes Wide Shut a little bit as though it's a sequel to Eyes Wide Shut or something where she got divorced from Tom Cruise and then married this guy and is still involved in weird shit. Yeah. She just changed doctors. <laughs> it's kind of- or it's their characters like, you know, it begin- left New York. It begins with open heart surgery. Yeah. <laughs> it's. Oh, that's not weird. I love Yorgos. He's he's like Rafi or something. Anyway, um, so she makes a lot of stuff. I mean, after this, I'm just gonna kind of throw a couple of these at you. The Goldfinch. Have you seen that? I have no idea what that is. A Boy Erased, a memoir featuring Russell Crowe. I don't watch Russell Crowe movies. 
I did watch a little movie directed by James Wan in 2018 called Aquaman starring that guy who can't act, but is very handsome town and is going to be in Dune. So we'll see if he can act at all. Did you see Aquaman, Nick? No. One. <laughs> I avoid all of You movies. love Jason Momoa. I've seen your Jason I've Momoa tribal tats. I've never seen him in anything. <laughs> I have nothing well, you're about, You're going to see Dune, though. Yeah. Yeah, you wouldn't You wouldn't pass on. He's not like the guy. No, I know. I'm going for Chalamet. Elf and just. I'm wear my Chalamet t-shirt. Also, one of our more underrated episodes. I'm sorry. Go back. Listen to Denny Villeneuve episode. Denny Villeneuve, the best movie director running around right now, in my opinion, until proven wrong. I can't think of one that I think. Paul Thomas Anderson. Oh, man, I mean, that's like right there, though. You know what I'm saying? I've really gotten to that point with Denny Villeneuve. I really have. I love his movies and I I love PT, but do I like Blade Runner 2049 more than I like Phantom Thread? Yes. And if we're just going off of last movies, I think I'm still going with PT. I no, I I love P. I just anyways, back to Nicole Kidman. Okay. Yes. But uh, yeah, Aquaman bombshell with Charlize Theron. Did not see that yet. It's pretty fun. It's about sexual harassment at Fox news. Yeah. The funnest topic it's, but they make it like a weird comedy sort of. And I found it very funny. I don't don't know if that was what they were going. They were definitely going for it, but it's messed up. It's absolutely messed up. But it's one of those ones where I think they kind of understood where it's Fox News. So if you literally live at this climate in this world and you don't know that Fox News is a bunch of absolute right wing creepy scumbags. What are we talking about here? I don't know. It's you realize that like half the country doesn't know that. I would hope it's more like a third, but yes, I understand what you're saying. And uh, they all love Blockbuster Film School. They're all listening right now. Those creepy old people who just watch Fox News and then flip over to some sort of weird Catholic channel or something that I don't even know about. Anyway, um, but yeah, so she's in a Hulu miniseries called Nine Perfect Strangers, but that's kind of it. That's kind of where not out yet either though. I know. And we're, so we're basically up to now we're up to now. So I think we should do a little bit of something we like to do here. It's a blockbuster film school. That's called the blockbuster dumpster. I think we should do one. I don't really think any of these are her performances. I just think she deserves at least one movie to go in the dumpster. Cause she's made a few. Nick, do you have a Blockbuster Film School dumpster movie for Miss Nicole Kidman? I feel bad because he's dead, so I won't pick that one. Trespass? It's trespass. <laughs> no, I'll just go with Far and Away. Yeah. Far, ah, yeah, Far and Away is rough. It's pretty dopey. Although, it is kind of nice to see Tom Cruise get stabbed in the thigh buyer <laughs> with a fucking pitchfork. <laughs> But I feel like stepper-wise is just too easy. Uh, he had to stand on a box to kiss her. In all of his movies. And I know, but I genuinely enjoy that's that. the th- That's like in Days of Thunder, she's always sort of like on like a fucking leaning lawn. Yeah, or kissing him while he's in the car. Yeah, exactly. There's a lot of her talking to him in the car. That's why the plot sh- pivots you're, to him in a wheelchair. You're my delicious midget boyfriend. <laughs> Excuse me. 
tiny person. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Tom. I'm going to put, I'm going to do it. And I'm going to put cold mountain. I think that movie is dumb as shit. I snickered during that entire stupid ass movie. Jude law showing up. I'm a civil war boy. I'm a, the, the civil war done made me the crazy. I, I I couldn't handle what was going on. Let's get the step in because Johnny Law is coming. <laughs> Everyone's accent is beyond stupid. The fact they got nominated for all these Academy Awards, it is trash. I, <laughs> It's so dumb. It's so dumb. I mean, everyone's trying, but it's real stupid. But let's go into the good side. Let's do it. What you've been waiting for, the picks, the blockbuster film school. Whoa. It's time for the Blockbuster Film School Wall! <laughs> Nicholas, do you want to start or you want me to start? I'll start. I don't give a shit. Oh, yeah. What's your number three? My number three is Moulin Rouge. Ooh. It's, it's fucking camp, man. Just get it. Let's watch. It's fun. The Elton John songs particularly stick out to me and stick inside of my head. And you know, the funny thing is, I don't remember any of the songs. Oh, really? Yeah, I cannot tell you. Other than the, uh, yeah, I can't remember any of them. <laughs> I remember the one that had the single with Cher and Christina Aguilera. Voulez-vous coucher avec moi? Yeah. Yes, I agree. I. It also came out when I was in high school, and it kind of had that weird thing of taking the baby boomer music and putting it in something that was more contextualized for us, whatever our generation is called. And you're right. And I loved it. I agree. I agree. It's a fabulous movie. I'm going to put for my number three, I'm going to say, I'm going to put dead calm. Dead calm is, if you want to see one of the best weird paced thriller movies, where you don't know what the hell is going to happen next and you want to see genuinely three actors act their fucking balls off in a very tense, very strange movie on a boat, you need to see Dead Calm. It also has one of the best covers of all time where it's Nicole Kidman's half of her face above the waterline. It's real spooky, real cool, and uh, I think you should check out Dead Calm. Nick, what's your number two? Australia. (laughs) Are you being serious? No, not at all. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Uh, shit, man. I went with the hours. Ooh. It's going straight fucking sad. It's amazing. It's amazing. It's amazing. It really amazing. is. Yeah. But yes, it's a real laugh riot. It's a romp, if you will. A romp with rocks in your pockets into the river. So. <laughs> Yeesh. Yeesh. My number two is a genuine romp. Maybe Gus Van Sant's best movie, it is To Die For. And check it out. Also, some really good music in that, a really good soundtrack as well. And Buck Henry wrote it and has written some kind of cool, weird movies. And I highly recommend To Die For. And she's so electric in it, so cool. Baby, Joaquin Phoenix, it's really dope. Nick, what's your number one for Miss Nicole Kidman? When I hear Nicole Kidman, I think of one movie every time. I probably always will. It is to die for. Oh, that's your number one. Yeah. Fab, fab. She's fucking electric and charismatic yeah. and, you know, not Keith Urban, but I, I'd kill one of her husbands. <laughs> I don't know anything about him. But you love one of her ex-husbands, though. 
You I would not do. say I love him. Oh, as an actor, I do. I don't like him personally, but I like his movies a lot. I always have. I can't. It's weird. I know. I get how someone could fall in love with Thomas Maybother. I mean, he's he's very handsome. He's very uh, charismatic. He's a good actor. I'm sorry. Tom's a good actor. But he is a weird creep show. <laughs> but maybe that's also kind of interesting. And that goes to my number one, which is Eyes Wide Shut. And I love Stanley Kubrick. I love that he picked both of them. I love that he wanted to work with them. And I think that somehow the mind meld between Kubrick and her and Cruz, I think it might have changed her career trajectory in a little bit, in a way. It's a very rare thing for people to work with Kubrick. And I think it's an absolute testament to how awesome she is an actress that Kubrick wanted them so badly to work with him. And I hope that the Scientologist didn't murder Kubrick after that movie. But I love Eyes Wide Shut, and I've grown to like it more and more as I get older. So, I don't know. Any other last thoughts on Nicole Kidman, worldwide superstar? Watch The Invasion. Watch Killing of a Sacred Deer. Watch the HBO show. Don't watch anything of hers with Hugh Jackman in Australia. (laughs) But maybe do watch something where she's a BMX bandit in the early 80s. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe. I don't know. (laughs) I feel like you and I, I feel like I want to watch some of her weird... Mm -hmm. Old Australian movies. I don't yeah. want to watch any of her modern no. Australian movies. <laughs> no. I do like when her and Lars Van Trier and Gus Van Sant work together sometimes, though, because they're complete lunatics. Yeah. I do enjoy that. Also, watch Destroyer, because I haven't, but I still want to. I forgot Ooh, about that movie. Yeah. Also, and as Super Producer Brian Tapp said, Days of Thunder is pretty fucking fun. I mean, it's if you want to see something that's very 90s, you want to see the 90s this movie that ever was. The mellow yellow car became a thing. I mean, I don't, it's nonsense. Two things. Yeah. Robert Duvall yelling. It's worth watching anytime. Mm-hmm. Second, fuck mellow yellow 50 50 all the way. <laughs> and that is it, everybody. That is Blockbuster Film School. If you're still listening, you like us, please check out, maybe throw in a couple of bucks to our Patreon, keeping us alive here in the dark times. Uh, check us out on Instagram. DJ Nick does a great job on our Instagram. We're on Facebook, we're on Reddit, we're on all the shit if you want to check us out. If you like our podcast, please, for the love of God, tell people about our podcast. Send the podcast to your friend. If you tell two friends, they tell two friends, they tell two friends. Please, we heart you. We're begging. It's a mild begging, but... I'm not begging. But I I have taken my shirt off. I've put more clothes on. Is that is that what you want? Is that what you want to see? Is, oh, I'm taking my pants off. Is that what is that what it is to be famous? You know, this is not a visual podcast. Is that... Oh, I'm taking my underwear off now. All right, everybody. It was Blockbuster Film School. I'm Alex Bonner with DJ Nick Souter. Boop, 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 boop. I'm not a DJ on You're, this. <laughs> this is your DJ name, too. And super producer Brian Tepps. Yeah. All right. So, everybody... We love you. We will see you next week here at the Blockbuster Film School.